Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. I tell you what, it's it's important to to bring honor here. One thing that RCC does, among others, is they are really intentional on allowing people to utilize what they do well in their giftings. And and um, although we don't always execute everything perfectly, we're still working on it. And we want to encourage you, if there's something that you feel you're called to do or you want to be a part of, always let us know. Um, we'll try to figure it out. And we just want to honor you and say thank you for being here this morning. Um, we pray blessings and health on you and your family and these crazy times we're in. And I hope you guys are all doing well and that fear has not gripped your hearts and that you're doing okay. All right. So, again, my name is John. And um, I am, I guess if you, if you talk about people that... People have always like this theme that runs in their heart of what they always seem to be attracted to you doing when they preach. And one of the things that I seem to be doing all the time now is I'm really drawn to going and speaking to the church at large of what the church, the almost sometimes correcting or directing or instructing. I really feel that there's an important hour that we are in as a church to really get it so we don't miss something important for us. But um, it was funny because I had a lot of things I wanted to talk to you guys about, but this one message for some reason has kept drilling inside of my heart and my mind that I can't get away from it. And I, I, I'm always like, okay, what do I call this message? Because it takes so many different turns. So I'll call it something that we can all kind of connect to with words. Um, I'm going to call it anointing versus gifting. And um, this message is a lot of fun, but it's also a little bit challenging. And it challenges me. It challenges my language. It challenges how I think. So hopefully it does that for you too. And um, if you feel a little bit of like, oh, it's okay, let God just kind of mold and shape you a little bit with it. Um, I say things sometimes that hit a little hard that might come in a little bit like a what in the world. That's just my personality. I really do love you. And I'm not trying to be mean. So if I, if I come across in a way that's really hard for you and you're like, I don't like preachers that do that, just know I, I've laid the foundation. I do love you. I'm not trying to hurt anyone ever with my words. So... I was really, um, this message, anointing versus gifting, started from a conversation that I've been having over the years, but then it just started really getting fueled. And I started hearing all these crazy things, and we've, we've heard it, we've said it. Um, the new song comes out, oh my gosh, that song is so anointed. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I'm like, yeah, this is so anointed. Oh, that is anointed. And then we use other words, like, that's prophetic. I'm like, no, you're just spontaneous. That wasn't prophetic. There's, there's all these balances. I got a prophetic word. I'm like, you just read scripture. Calm down. You know, it's, I get it, and we're trying to put a now word, and then there's something that goes forward with that. So there's the prophecy. It's kind of like, how do you line that up? What this is really about is anointing and gifting. I wanted to kind of share a little bit of a difference between the two because they're hugely different, but I don't think the church currently recognizes the difference. And because of that, I think we're in a little bit of a dangerous spot. And I want to reveal some things to you in Scripture, and I want to put some things in perspective now to help us get more clarity so we can see the difference in both and that we don't miss it. So, first of all, let's talk about the terms of what these are. So we're going to say giftings, okay? We know giftings are like your talents, the things you're good at. That's what we're talking about, okay? So my wife is gifted, and she's great at, she plays piano, she can sing. She has different giftings. Um, I have different giftings as well. We're all different in our giftings. Some of those giftings are more developed, and some of them are in infancy stages, okay? Um, so gifting is matured through practice, okay? Keep that in mind. Gifting is matured through practicing, okay? Can we agree with that? If I tried to play the piano, it's, it's embarrassing. My wife will not teach me. She sat down one time with me, and she's like, no, we're done. I'm like, why? Because I can't handle it. I'm the worst. Um, but anointing is a little different. It's a form of practice, but it's not. Anointing is matured through intimacy, okay? So gifting is going to be done through practice, but anointing is actually done through intimacy, which takes time as well. Um, maturing the gift is something that we do all the time. So if we're doing something, like even people going to college, if they're going to be a musician or they're trying to do something, whatever, they're going to mature in that gifting. They're going to start practicing, stepping out, doing it. They're going to grow. They're going to learn. That's maturing your gifting. That is important. Um, today, just so you know, we see today, we see the advancements of giftings like never before. I mean, we are seeing giftings upon giftings, and we're like, wow. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I've sat in, in places before, and I'm just sitting there. I'm blown away by what I'm hearing and experiencing. And I'm like, 
man, this anointing is so strong. And the Lord just started checking my heart with this. Because what happened was I was in New York and I was at a Broadway show. And these guys are singing. Now these songs aren't like evil, but they're not godly songs. And as they're singing these songs, I'm being stirred and moved and I start weeping. And I'm like, I thought I wept because of the anointing. And then I said, wait a minute. I'm being moved because that gifting is so incredibly maxed out to its best that I'm touched by how great they've taken that gifting and I can sit under it and I can sense how good it is. And it moves my heart. I believe the church is in the phase of sitting under tremendous giftings, thinking their heart is being moved, but we're not really experiencing what we think we're experiencing. It's not necessarily anointing. Because you know why? Because if it was anointing, the bondage of the church wouldn't be what it is. Because the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage, right? The gifting doesn't, right? So it's like, oh, the gifting, it didn't break the yoke of bondage. Well, that's, that's the problem. We are sitting now in a culture, in a time, in a season, in a church where we're literally sitting under tremendous giftings. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not anointings, but it means there's a lack of matured anointings possibly, okay? So we're going to get into this a little bit. Um, so here we go. I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 16. I love my cheerleader. PG is like the ultimate cheerleader. I love him. Like, he's so encouraging. He's always wanting us to do it. Harvest and I are the worst. Like, we're just stoic. Like, yeah. But when we get up and speak, we're a little different. But when we're listening, we're like, yeah. You know, he needs somebody with pom-poms up here for him. I feel bad. So, 1 Samuel 16. You guys will, will recognize this story. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. And I want you to hear beyond and, and go, go with me here. So 1 Samuel 16 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? He says, Fill your horn with oil and go. Now, real quick. Samuel, he's the prophet. Okay? And you have Saul, who's king. And Samuel is really wanting Saul to get his act together. It's not happening. And he's mourning because of the things that God showed him for Saul. That could have been. That should have been. That did not happen and is still not happening. And so God is telling Saul, why are you still mourning? And he says, go ahead and do this. He says, take your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have approved myself a king among his sons. And he's like, what? So you've got king over here, Saul, and here goes prophet with the horn. Now, it says, Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears, he's going to kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So he's giving him like a strategy. Like it's a little sneaky how he's doing it, but it, it's legit. So then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'm going to show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel does this. He does what the Lord says. He gets there. And as soon as he comes into the town, the elders of the town, they literally tremble because he shows up. That's pretty creepy though. Imagine, I mean you got the prophet of God. He, this is a time where people understood what a prophet of God was too. Because this was serious stuff. Like they're not going to give you a wrong prophecy. Because if they do, they're going to die. I mean, these guys, this is like on point. So he walks into town and they're like freaking out. And so he eventually says, calm down. It's a good thing I'm here. Don't worry. And puts them at ease. And it says, so when they came, they, they looked at um, all these different people. They brought in Jesse and his sons. They invited him to the sacrifice. And it says, they came. He looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Woo, look at this guy. Like he's looking just, yeah, he's the man. So the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called the next son, and the next son, and the next son. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring for him. And I will, uh, he's unlocking, I'm, I'm not even sitting down until he comes over here. So he does it. And Samuel said to Jesse, get him in here. So he sends him, gets him in there. And then now, when he gets in there, he says, he looks at David. He says, he was ruddy with bright eyes, but he was good looking. All right. So David wasn't no chump. He was, a, he was kind of a guy. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, keep this in mind, Samuel rose and then he went to another place. But do you realize, of course we know the message of the one tending the sheep, the one being faithful. Yes, that's all true. But 
let's get some perspective here. Saul is king, but the prophet and God has now anointed someone else to be king. Just because you are anointed to do something doesn't mean you will hold the position right away. This is a big deal because a lot of us aren't understanding the process of what anointing and maturing does. It takes time. We have a lot of people wanting to just jump out there because they feel and they know they've been anointed by God and they have not gone through any process of maturity. So here's what's really crazy. There's a double-sided message here I'm not going to preach, but you know what's going on here? You know what happens to Saul next? Right after this, literally in order, the next verse, it says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Literally, oil, right there on David. What happens to Saul? A distressing spirit begins to trouble him. You know what happens is Saul is no longer sitting with the anointing that protected him from that. And he's so not there, spiritually speaking, that he is now literally being tormented. So what do they say to do? Here's this guy that we heard about. His name's David. When he plays, oh, so wait a minute. They heard about his gifting. But now watch. The gifting, they call David in to come play. And we know that this is where David plays and the spirit stopped tormenting Saul. You know what happened? It's because all of a sudden Saul's sitting back in the room again with the same anointing that just left him. So the gifting comes walking through because it was maturing and they took notice. But now the anointing comes back in and the same anointing that kept him at peace is now in the room with him. He doesn't even realize he, he doesn't have it. He doesn't even know. So here's the deal. Many people are sitting in positions troubled because the anointing for that place and that time has left them and they're still sitting there. And they were meant to go. That's why I think, Pastor George, you've had a peace when people start leaving now. Because there's a time. And when God does say it, he's giving you a peace to know. And yeah, there's right ways and wrong ways. But let me tell you, there's a peace. And when that happens, it's like, you know what? It's no longer there. And if, if that's the way it is, it's the way it is. But recognize when you've been someplace you shouldn't be. It could be for work. It could be all different situations. But that's a whole other message. So this distressing spirit is literally now something that is being put at ease because Saul is in the room with it. All right? So anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Let's remember this. Now, what happens next? So David is still not king. Now he's getting close to Saul. And guess what else David does? Right after this, what does David do? He goes and he actually kills Goliath. David is still not king. But watch this part. I love this. It says in 1 Samuel 17, he arises, he goes out, he's like, let's kill this Philistine. And it says that David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I mean, he's, he's walking in such boldness because he knows, what he's been, he knows what he's been anointed to do. So in a way, he got a little bit confident because he's like, well, I'm going to be king so I can't die. Like, what do I got to fail? Like, what's the big deal? I mean, that's part of my thought. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. So this is a big deal. Well, what happens is David, Saul's like, okay, well, if you're going to do this, here, put on the armor. It's funny because the way I read it in the translation before, I used to think it was just because the armor was too big and he was too little. The reality is, is David is literally saying, no, nah, this, I, I haven't tested this yet. He cannot wear the king's armor yet because he knows it's not been tested for him to wear it yet. So it's not just that it's not fitting properly. It's also, it's not a time for him to wear it yet. He says, this is where I am, and I will fight in the position I am now with the way God has had me in this position now. So he goes and he kills Goliath. Again, he's still not king. So understand this. Whatever you feel you're anointed to do, it's a process. So let me explain process, especially to a generation that doesn't understand process, okay? So right now, I love this. So you guys love your phones. I know you do because you're on them in church. So this phone, what's so cool is when you're with this phone, if I want to get a picture real quick, I'm like, boom. I'm like, oh, that's not a good one. Boom. I go, there it is. Oh, wait, yes, smile a little better. Okay. And we take these phones instantly. We got them. And we're there. We can share it. Millions can see it. 
we're all about our actual cameras. It's instant. And we're used to that because that's where we live now. But let me bring you back to a day where, I mean, I'm not going to go too far back because some of y'all will be like, let me tell you about my day. I'm going to go back to my day. So in the early 80s, okay, when I was a kid, I was loving this. I got this little camera. Now, this camera didn't have any batteries. It wasn't special. You had to open this compartment, take something called a roll of film. The old people laugh like they don't know. You put it in the camera, you reel out this film just enough to get it on these little grooves so it grabs it, these little teeth. Y'all remember that? And then you tuck it in and you're like, all right, I'm about to close it. And when you close it, you know that's it. You close it and you wind it for ready for the first picture. And what you do is click, ring, 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 click. And then after you take all the pictures, you're like, crank, crank. it won't go anymore. You're like, oh, I have no more film left. So what you got to do now is you got to pop this little weird button up, has a little kind of tool, and you wind, 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 and you wind it all back into the film, and all the film goes back into the canister, then you pray to God it went back in all the way, because if not, it's going to be a problem, and you get it in, and then you're like, pop up the door, you're like, okay. Then you take that roll, we still haven't seen anything yet, you take the roll all the way to a photo developing place. They had photo shops, they had, even your Walmarts, they had a place of photo center. You bring it there, they'd say it'd be three to seven days, sometimes longer, and no one-hour photo at this time, guys. And then they bring it for a process of development. And then eventually you get those pictures back. And the development process we'll talk about. But they got the pictures back. And when they get the pictures back, guess what? Half the pictures were horrible. Your finger was in the way. How many of y'all have pictures still in photo albums looking all weird? You're just like, that's all I got. And then we started getting creative, cutting weird just because it was ugly. And this is what happened. That was the only way we can get pictures. It wasn't instantaneous. But... Then they came out with the really fancy stuff where we put batteries in our camera because now it would automatically rewind for you or advance the film for you. We started getting high class. And then came our instant, the Polaroid. Yeah, old school. Oh, take that picture, click, click, and then And we're like And we're waiting. I'm telling you, it, those four or five minutes felt like 20. Come on. And then it was like, oh, man, the sun hit it too much. It's weird color. Try it again. All right, come on. And eventually we get a good Polaroid, and we'd write on it. And, we, and this isn't the little kind of cute things that are all trending now because everybody's throwing back. We're talking like big old Polaroid picture. And the film was expensive, and it was just weird, and it was just the cameras were never reliable. It's just, but it was fun. And then we had those Polaroids. So we had instant, instant. But what's crazy is, as I started realizing, too, there is a process of development that we don't understand anymore. See, in the instantaneous generation, you know what happened when you send that roll of film off? You would send that roll of film off, and they would bring it to a place called the dark room. They would put this film, they would actually take it out in a dark room. There'd be a little bit like a, like a red light, okay? Because you couldn't expose it or else it would actually mess up the film and you would lose your pictures. And they would, they would put it in a chemical solution, and they would actually get those pictures to come out, and then they would be able to cut them, print them, and you, they had to spend time. And it's a process in the darkroom. Now, while somebody was actually doing this, what's really bad is if somebody just opened the door and the light came in and exposed all of it, it would ruin the picture. And you would never see what those pictures were meant to be. That is what's going on in the church today. We have a lot of people unwilling to go through the process of the darkroom, and because of that, they want to be put on a platform and exposed to the spotlight. And we will never see what they were meant to be because it destroys what they were. This is the difference between anointings and giftings. So if we are sitting in a place where we're going, I want instantaneous right now. I want a platform. I want a position. For goodness sakes, I want a paycheck. Whatever it is you're looking for, if you have not gone through the process... Let me tell you, David went through that process. He did. He just went through it. He went through a bunch of mess before he was finally king. And right up to the very end, he could have really messed things up by not being honorable to Saul. But you know what? He was honorable to even a king that was now from a place where he was a friend. Now he's trying to kill him. He was still honorable to him. And guess what? That developed something in David. Because he went through a process. And then when it was time, he took his place. Today, we have an entire generation of the most gifted human beings I think I've ever seen in forever, for generations. I mean, you can take young ones, put them on a platform, they can actually lead this place in worship. 
and they musically can execute well. I've seen 12, 13-year-olds that can bring this whole room into a tizzy because they are just that good. But that's because their giftings are advancing fast. They're maturing fast because you know what? The church has taught them that that's what gets you the platform. Honestly, that voice, that'll get you the platform. The way that you can do this, that'll get you the platform. I want to tell you something. I've sat under people that are the most gifted people on the planet. And I've started paying attention to things. And they're so gifted, but when you sit there and they sing, the, the crowds move. And I'm like, Lord, what's missing? And you can tell something's not there. And then I've sat under somebody whose gifting hasn't matured yet. But for some reason, when they sit there and they play, all of a sudden something happens. I'm like, what is going on in the room? This person's tone deaf, God. What is this? I get mad. I'm like, I thought the giftings would accompany the anointing. Not always, because if all they worked on was anointing and they forgot about their gifting, it might take more time. But I'm like, what is this? And I've seen things happen in a room. I watched a guitar player. I talk about him. His name is Nate. Nate is somebody that is ridiculous, okay? This is a guy, I've actually, this is a true story. I, I had the privilege of speaking at the ramp for their youth ministry. And this is in Hamilton, Alabama, um, under Karen Wheaton, if you know who she is. And I got to go to the youth ministry there, and I got to preach to their youth. I was so honored. I get in there, and they had a, a, a worship team that Christina was going to join in and do lead worship with. And as I'm there, they're, they're playing. The drummer is just nasty good. Like, he's good. I'm like, what in the world? All right. And I'm partial to Kel. Kel's my bro. So, I mean, like, if I'm going to go to war, I'm taking Kel. But still, this guy's good. And so then all of a sudden, at the end of my message, um, there's an altar call. And it's just kind of one of those heavy altar calls. You know how PG likes it. Like, you know, come on. And it's like driving. It's forced. Like, ooh, somebody's getting delivered. So all of a sudden, people are at the floor. There's weeping. There's crying. And this guy's on this electric guitar. And he's, he looks like he's probably like five foot six, scrawny little white dude who ran track, curly, funny hair real quiet, and he's playing. And as he's playing, I'm watching people, and get, they're getting ministered to, I finally backed away, I didn't need to do nothing. The Holy Spirit was taking care of everything. I was like, come on, God. And all of a sudden, this guy, he's got his eyes closed, and he's just weeping. And I'm like, what's going on with him, Lord? And I'm just, me and God are having a conversation, you know. And so he's going, and all of a sudden, he just, he can barely stand up, and he hits his knees, and he's just weeping, and he's crying out. And all of a sudden, the room, you can see the room shifting, and I'm like, what is happening in here? And he literally goes, says something to the, like he's yelling out something. And it sounds like basically like, I'm going to God, I will. And like he starts playing. Well, he starts going up on the guitar. I mean, it's gotten to those high notes and he's starting to really kind of go with it. And I'm like, woo, that's, I mean, that's musically insane. That's really good. But literally people started getting off their knees and they're trembling like this. And I'm like, what is going on? And he keeps doing it, and people get off the floor. Like the whole room, like they were choreographed. And I'm like, I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, what is this? I've not seen this. And all of a sudden, he goes, ah, and he, boom, he hits the guitar, one final chord. Almost the entire room falls flat on their face. People get delivered from demonic spirits instantly. And I'm going, I'm looking at this shocked. I'm going, and I look at her, I'm like, I've never seen that. And when Christina teaches on worship, she teaches about Zamar. And it talks about that the instruments, and that the, when you play those instruments, there's a way that God actually does this. And I want to tell you something. If RCC is going to be known for anything, it needs to be known not just about how gifted and talented all of you are. But it needs to be known that this is a place where they're willing to be developed and processed in a dark room. Because people are not going to get delivered or set free here just because Pastor George preaches a great message. They're not. That's not the only way it happens. It can. The word is the, I mean, the word. But the process for you. Imagine if we have, not that they aren't today, but I'm just saying, imagine we get a platform one, one morning where people have been literally going through the process of the dark room and saying, I'm willing to go wherever I need to go, God. And they're up there, and they get up, and the worship time starts, and literally every single one are in unity and in spirit, and they start to flow on that worship team. Now, they do now, but I know it could get even better. And what happens is, all of a sudden, this room 
if you walk in here with something that's wrong, the conviction will hit you immediately. When conviction stops hitting the church, I'm like, what's happening? My question is, is truth even relevant to anybody? Is it real anymore? So I believe that there is bondages all throughout the church, right now in every church house in America. I believe there's bondages and there are hang-ups that people have. In this room today, many of them. There's many of them. So there are, there are secret areas, there are hard areas in your life, there are things that are going on. And what you're really needing is not to sit under a great service. Like when we go home, we're like, what was the, how was the service? We've already just said we're trying to tell how gifted was it. When we say how was the service, what we should really be saying in our heart was, was the Lord present today? Was he with us corporately? We've gotten kind of weird. I mean, we are weird when we worship now. Do you ever notice? Am I the only one? We're weird. I don't know if it's the prayer, House of Prayer that maybe kind of gave us that new culture and then we didn't know how to come back corporately in a way, but it's funny because I started noticing this myself because House of Prayer is amazing and, and it developed that place of intimacy, like get with, that was incredible. And we're like, yeah, but then corporately what I've noticed is we don't know how to corporately worship now. You know what we do? We isolate ourselves in a crowd and we have our worship with God. What is corporate worship? You could do that anywhere. We have a privilege still of coming together within these walls. It's a privilege to have this. And we come together in corporate worship. What if we weren't so holy or pretending to be so holy or we're trying to hide something because we know we're really a mess. What if the anointing was real enough for some of us and it hits us and we're like, oh. Then when we start seeing that the darkness trembles, we're literally going, the darkness is trembling here. And it starts really meaning something. What if we look at somebody next to us and we're singing about God and we're looking. I look at Rosie. I'm like, isn't he great? Isn't he faithful? And we're interacting with each other while we're worshiping. We don't know how to look at each other. We come in here we're like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I'm guilty. I'm like, man, what does corporate worship look like? It might look like we put our arm around each other and in the middle of a song we're just worshiping and weeping together because we know what God is saying. But see, I am praying that the church will grow into the next phase. And I think this is the phase that we have to get to. We've been talking about phases on the earth. We've been talking about things. And I know the whole COVID mess. Let me tell you something. I'm going to just give you a quick little thing. Stop trying to be a better American than you are a disciple. Stop. You are a disciple first. Stop trying to be a better American than you are a disciple. You are first a disciple. Most of you guys have spent more time trying to be American than you have been being a disciple. Quit it. Just stop. That's why everybody's like, where's God? I don't know, because everybody's trying to be American all the time. We're Americans, but be disciples, please. Let's get that right, okay? So I want to I challenge us to get to the place where we can learn what it means to find out if it's anointed or not, gifted or not. You know what? I don't want you to look at people and be like, man, I don't know if they're anointed. I'm saying I want you to look at yourself. Because each one of you has a gift. And that's great. Whether you're on that platform or not, honestly, I can care less if I ever, I mean, I honestly could care less. I mean, preaching, I'll do it. They ask, I'll do it. My thing is this. I don't think the spotlight in this generation is helpful. I think it's actually dangerous. What happens when we have worship leaders that finally step up and say, I see the gifting in you. But I'm not able to put you on the platform yet because it would be opening the door to the dark room. And you're not done developing yet. You know what we do now? We're offended. Well, I'll go somewhere else where they will whore my gifting out and use me the way that I want to be used. And they go to some other place. They'll go to another church. Because we have become so business-minded as a system that we will prostitute the giftings in order to bring people in the church. And that's what we're doing. And we don't want to be honest about it. I'm being serious. You know how many churches I've been in that this is what's going on? They're like, well, talent breeds talent. I'm like, well, it kind of does. And I, because somebody's really good, they're like, I don't care if that person's in a bad life right now. Get them on the platform, man. People are going to hear that and they're going to just be moved by their music. Well, their moving is still leaving them in bondage. It's not moving. That's not movement. This is what I'm telling us. We have to get a grip on our realities. What are we doing? What is happening? 
You know, when people get saved now, they get saved at the altar. Praise the Lord. Maybe get baptized. If we have our dunk tank with us, we're loving that. We get them baptized. But then what do we do? Usually we plug them right into the church. What? Why? Why is that our first response? Where is the discipleship? Where is the mentorship? Where is the fathers and mothers? Where is the growth? Where is the process? You know why? Man, we got a need in the nursery. We got a newbie, a rookie, he'll go in the nursery. I'm, I'm not lying. This is really what's happening. We spiritually abort people at the altar all the time. They come to Jesus like, get them out, go. Next. Some churches just take a bunch of, you know, tallies. Here, we try, we're trying to put things together here for you to disciple you. So when you come here, we're like, we want to make sure you understand not only the heart of the house, but do you understand your heart? Where are you at? We don't want to just put you up there. You know how many people will come to my wife and say, God's called me to be a worship leader. And God, that's great. And Christina's like, that's awesome. She's like the most encouraged person. She's like, I'll get you up there. She's put people on the platform I'm like, honey, what are you doing? But she'll do that. She's trying to encourage. And she'll talk with PG. They'll work through things. And they're trying to develop different worship leaders and developing them. You know what? When you're somebody that's got the gifting, you even got the anointing, you'll recognize that your job is to raise someone else up too. She has no problem not leading. It's, it's a joy because we're in a part of a church community here at RCC. Our job is to make sure she's not the one leading all the time. And it shouldn't be, well, this person leads every other week, every other week. Every, settle down. Who are we raising up? Who are we training? Who are we discipling? Thing is, though, is we've learned how to train up in giftings. But how do we train people in the anointing? It's called accountability. It's called speaking into them the hard things that are really difficult. I love hearing some of the reports that come out of our men's group. I hear some of these men that literally they are young adult men. They'll come to me and they'll say, man, I love men's group. I'm like, why? Because, man, they challenge me. They, they're in my face for real. But they love me and they'll tell me the hard thing. That's what the church has forgotten to do. They don't know how to do that anymore. And so we don't know how to do the hard thing. We don't know how to say, you know what, you're amazing. But there's some things that I know the Lord's working out in you. And they're like, well, what about you? And the attitude starts. That's all that happens. And then we're offended. And like I said... People usually will end up moving on if they can't feel the false feeling of being used by God by having a gifting. They move on quickly. Because the feeling you get utilizing your gifting on a platform in a house that has the anointing, it's a false feeling and a false security of being anointed. So if God has anointed this place to do something and you're serving in that place that's anointed, you feel as if you're under the anointing for yourself. And it's not. There's a corporate thing happening, and it's a false flag for you, and you need to pay attention. That's why people are falling away from the church right now. They stayed in under a corporate anointing for years, and the moment they got by themselves for a second, they realized none of it was real to them. One after another are rejecting and saying God's not real. So why are our, like you said, 15% of our young adults walking away from God when they leave and go to college? It's because that's the first time they're out of their home under the anointing of mom and dad, under the anointing of you got to be in that church place that has the anointing. They, they literally are out from among that, and they now are standing alone. And they're like, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I don't feel it anymore. This is what's going on. So parents, my charge to you, make sure your children aren't riding your wave of faith, your wave of anointing. Make sure they're not connecting with God because of what they've been involved in. Don't let them do that because it actually... The enemy will let your kids serve in church for the longest time. Because if he can keep your kids serving in church, looking like they are doing everything like everybody else is doing, he knows that it's going to take a real quick moment. As soon as they step out, I got them. And that's what's happening. And we are literally sending our children off to the slaughter because we did not equip them. So when you say, where's the equipping for our youth, where's the equipping for our young adults, it's never going to be through me as a youth pastor or a young adult pastor, whatever you say. It's never going to be me alone. Okay, your parents, you're their youth pastor. Your home is the youth meeting. When I said about Niali today that she can stand alone, I know the home in which she resides. She's going into, she's small, but she's mighty. And she's going into 
She's going into college. I'm not worried about Niali. It doesn't mean I don't pray for her, but I know where she stands. I've watched her stand alone. She's got it. I'm not worried about her. Others, I'm concerned. And it doesn't mean you failed as parents. What I'm saying is we have to wake up. Don't let corporate anointings lull you to sleep thinking you have it. RCC has been anointed to do something. You're a part of that house, but what have you been anointed and called to do? So if you believe that you are called and you are gifted to do something, I'm gonna ask you to stand up for me. If you're called and gifted to do something, you're like, I am gifted and called to do something. Oh, you're like, oh man, that sounds so arrogant. Oh, I can't say that. Don't do the false humility thing either, that's dumb. Okay, Christina, you can come up on. So we got callings, giftings, all that's great. Now, some of you are still having a hard time standing up. Okay, so here's the deal. Let me tell you the difference between, between confidence and arrogance, okay? It's a fine line, ready? Confidence is different, but arrogance says this. I don't care what people think about me. Confidence says, I don't care what the Lord thinks about me. It's a fine line. So it's okay to be confident. You're not being arrogant because you're being confident. So you're called right now. Raise your hand that in this calling, you know you've also that you're gifted in that. In some way, you're gifted. Okay. How many of you that just raise your hand will also say that you work on maturing that gifting regularly? Great. Here's the charge. You will never see people set free if the anointing is not there. They're never going to be set free by how good you are and how many accolades you get and how many awards you get for what you do. Even in the workplace. Do you know that God will anoint you to do things in the workplace? It's not just for church use. The church is outside the walls. We come here to celebrate what he's doing out there. Or at least we should be. <laughs> so I'm going to have this podium come up because I don't want anybody to wreck that. Thank you guys. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to be, I guess the call that I would say to us this morning, and I do feel like I want to have ministry today. Here's the call. You know you're called, you know you're gifted. But it's time to mature in the anointing that you're supposed to walk in. Today I want to see for those here who are saying, you know what, you're right. My gifting's a little bit more probably in the sense of mature than where I should be going in the anointing. And I'm willing to go into the dark room. I'm willing to be processed. Maybe some of you have been in the dark room for years, but the process you've been resisting against. And all you've done is complain that you don't want to be processed like that. And they can't open the door yet because they don't want to expose anything prematurely because we'll never get to see the full picture. God loves you enough to make sure you go through the process. If you're willing to go through the process and you're willing to stay in that dark room even when it's hard and not get discouraged, not lose sight, you'll still slay giants even though you're not a king. You'll still do miraculous things. You'll be able to play for people and they may be delivered. But you may never be a worship leader. See, the anointing is all that matters when you're doing the work of the Lord. You need to have him. But if you're willing to say, I'll go through this process, and I need this process, and I want this process, I'm going to ask you to come forward so we can pray together as family and friends together. I'm excited because we're, we're no longer going to be at a place where it's just giftings. I'm excited. Just make room. Come on. Don't even feel weird at altar calls. We've gotten weird with that. Just come on. Be normal. It's okay. We're all doing this together. I'm not like preaching at you. I'm like, we're doing it together. I'll answer my altar call with you, okay? We'll do this together. Incredibly gifted people. So we thank you, God, for all the giftings first that are right here. I thank you for them. We honor the giftings you've placed in each and every one of them. But now, Holy Spirit, they're asking for help in the area of development and process. Holy Spirit, we are asking for your help in the maturing process so the anointing would be real. The anointing would be more than just something we think is a goosebump or a few tears that are shed because it was such great giftings, but the anointing would be something that would forever change us because we are in your presence. 
the anointing would be something that would shift atmospheres because you were with me and I was with you. God, I pray that this will be real for us. So I'm going to ask for my leaders that are here, elders, leaders, we just go around and just pray and begin to minister. And just, again, just encourage it, encouragement. Speak life over them, confidence that they can do this, that it's going to be good. Some of you have to think of some practical things. Set time aside. Do what you got to do. It's worth it, I promise. It's worth it when you open your mouth up and say, God loves you, and all of a sudden people repent and come to the Lord. It's insane. Billy Graham wasn't a dynamic speaker, but he was sure anointed. He spoke and things happened. It made no sense. I could say the same thing, but it wouldn't happen. It's the anointing that followed. Holy Spirit, I ask that the anointing that's even present here today that would break off the bondages that we felt within the room. I pray against the darkness that's been impeding into the hearts and lives of many that are up here. I ask God that there will be a filling of their lives with good things that are from you. Somebody had, I gotta tell you, there's a thought that somebody's spoken or a thought recently about why do good things keep, you know, why do bad things keep happening to good people? Why do bad things keep happening to good people? Let me tell you something. Nothing, nothing has happened to a good person that's been bad except for Jesus. He's the only one that was ever good. None of us are good outside of him. So this world is a mess and it is rough. But I break off the hurts, the wounds, and the disappointments off of your life as well in Jesus' name. I break off the need to always have to have a feeling you don't have to have a feeling. It's not about your feelings. It happens, but not all the time. So Father, I ask that each one that's up here, Jesus, they will find it, the quiet place, the stillness, that they be willing to take up their cross and follow you, and they will get alone with you. I ask God that anointing would be sought more so than their gift. That anointing would be sought beyond a platform. God, I pray that a generation would no longer seek a platform but seek your presence and that they would really find it. Just talk to them. Tell them where you're at. Be honest. Just two more minutes. Just tell them. I pour out all I have. I lay down all
Keep praying, keep praying. There's a sweet spirit here. Come on, just lift up your hands. Before we leave, come on, let's just ask the Lord to continue to give you grace during the dark room seasons. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to release a prophetic word to you before you leave. What a challenging word this morning that we heard, right? I want to say something to you that I really felt is, is very timely for you before, you before I dismiss you. How many feel you've been blessed and touched by the Lord today? Come on, amen. John, you hit, you hit it right. You hit it out of the park. You hit it right where it needs to be. Because in the age of giftings, the Lord actually, while you were preaching, he told me two specific things. Like, he, like, it was so strong to me. And I'll tell you what it is. There's two sides of the fence when it comes to what he was talking about. Please listen to me, and I'm going to dismiss you. On one side, it, but it both involves the dark room, okay, the process. I heard the Lord say, many of my people that are authentically anointed to do something, forfeit the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage in fullness because they can't stand the pressures of the dark room and therefore they leave or they quit. Now, he, now what I'm about to say next, I, I, I don't think I've told you this before. The other day I was speaking somewhere, uh, I forgot where exactly it was, I was ministering somewhere. And someone says, man, I haven't seen you in a long time and it just, and it seemed, they said, it, it seems like I felt the anointing of the Spirit of God. I think it was during the baptism. They, some people emailed me. Like, it was so powerful. And they're like, but it was very normal, but yet I felt the, the, the anointing so strong. And then one of them said, jokingly, it's like, well, it's because of all the stuff you and your church have gone through, and you're still standing. And when I heard that, I felt what Pastor John said. While I was sitting in the front, Pastor John said something, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, how you increase the anointing on your life is to endure to the end during the dark room seasons. And watch, I feel the Lord. When you endure to the end and not quit, you may go, go up there to sing, you may go up there to preach, and you're on your, the 12th round, 
inside. I'm serious. I've, I've done that many times. Come up here, and I'm in the 12th round, and I'm getting beat down. But as soon, and I, and I, but I don't quit. And as soon as I release the word of the Lord, the anointing comes. Why? Oil is symbolic of anointing, and you get oil by crushing the olive. Everyone wants oil, but no one wants crushing. And I want to tell you what Pastor John says this. Don't be a people that just satisfied with your gifting. Work on the character that takes a process. But here's what I'm going to say very boldly. I heard it so clearly. If you stay strong during the shaking seasons and you choose not to give up, the anointing will increase in your life. Why? Because he's looking for people to trust with his anointing. He just doesn't give people the anointing so they could run however they want. I want to encourage you today that if you're in a dark season, because I feel that so strongly, if you're in a dark season, know what's actually happening behind the scenes. It's not just one day in the by and by God is going to bless you, sure, but he's actually increasing silently the anointing on your life. That, what? The, and I'm, I'm closing with this. The anointing doesn't break the yoke of bondage. It destroys the yoke of bondage. I'm going to say that again. If you could break something, you could put it back together. But praise God, God doesn't want bondage back together. He destroys the yoke of bondage. And many of you are going to be trusted to destroy the yoke of bondage in your family and in others. Watch this. Are you ready? If you don't skip the process. Come on, say this with me. Say, don't skip the process. Say that with me. Don't skip the dark room. Say, don't rush my gifting. And the anointing will come. So let's stand up. Wow, what a powerful time we're having the Lord. You know, I, I just feel such an incredible depth, depthness in the Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, today for an incredible word. I would just want us to really pray this. What Pastor John uh, spoke was so powerful. Actually, I've said this before, but I, I want to say it again because it's really powerful. Your gifting could take you to a place where your character cannot sustain you. If you're only focusing on getting somewhere because of a gifting, or you get mad at a leader because they don't recognize your gifting with a position, or whatever it is, it could be in your work. Maybe ask yourself, God, you're all powerful. You could put me in a place anytime you want. But one thing I noticed while Pastor John was speaking, that David not one time asked for position. He was faithful, and God gave him the position, not man. Father, I bless them, and I ask them that this week, from here on out, that we will work on our character. We will work on the anointing by spending time with you, by not giving up during the process, because you're working in us something far greater. Lord God, your word says our light afflictions, but it's, but it's just for a moment. It's working in us a far more weightier weight of glory. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Church, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Listen. Shake someone's hand before you leave. If you're a visitor for the first time, see Pastor Keith Richardson in the, in the prayer room. We love you. Come out to prayer on Tuesdays. We're having a great time. And seek a way to get discipled and plugged in. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.